You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look Podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live's First Look. This is the place you want to be every week for news and analysis from some of the best in the business. I'm Karen Tumulty. I'm deputy opinions editor and a columnist here at the Washington Post. I'm filling in this week for Jonathan Capehart. And what a week it was. We will, of course, be starting out with the unprecedented indictment yesterday, or that we learned about yesterday, of Donald Trump. And we are fortunate this morning to be joined by our chief correspondent, Dan Balls. Welcome back to First Look, Dan. Thank you, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I think we ought to start out by stipulating what we don't know at this point. We really don't know the precise charges and we do not know what the precise evidence is that this Manhattan district attorney has come up with. But we do know the general outlines of this case. We know that they were looking into falsification of business records and potentially connecting it to a federal crime, which is one of the things that it's a unique legal strategy. So, Dan, at this point, what is your best read of the political consequences of all of this? Karen, it's 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 all, always difficult to speculate uh, in cases like this, and particularly with the former president who has uh, who has managed to get through all manner of uh, events in which normal politicians might have been brought down. So I, I, I say that as a beginning statement. I think in the short run, as we saw yesterday, uh, this gives him some kind of a, a, a mini boost. And, and I say that simply because it has forced so much of the Republican Party and many of the people who are going to run against him or are already running against him uh, to come to his defense to attack the, the uh, New York District Attorney, Mr. Bragg. Uh, and, and so in that sense, it reminds people that he plays a dominant role in the in the Republican Party, uh, that he's the biggest figure and force within the Republican Party. But longer term, I think we just we can't begin to anticipate what this might mean. Uh, you know, the cliche uncharted waters is certainly the case here. Uh, Donald Trump has been through a lot over many, many years, but he has never been indicted criminally uh, and he is now going to be in the legal system. Uh, we don't know how that will play out. We don't know whether the, you know, the, he will be acquitted or convicted. Um, but this is going to be a long process that's going to expose more and more. Um, and it will be happening against the backdrop of a, of a political campaign and with the prospect of other indictments looming. Uh, there are certainly other investigations that could bring further indictments. So the long-term political impact um, is very difficult to, to project. Uh, and I would be hesitant to say that this will be good for him in the long run. Talk about the uh, potential challengers to him in this. He's already a candidate, but there are a number of people who are expected to jump in. I was struck by the fact that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has already announced that he will not cooperate in extraditing Trump should he decide not to show up for uh, for for his summons on Tuesday. I mean, talk a little bit about sort of the strange situation that that some of these other challengers are likely to find themselves in. 
Well, everybody who's running against Donald Trump needs to get a piece of Donald Trump's constituency in order to win the nomination. They they cannot allow what happened in 2016 to be a repeat this time, which is uh, for the field to be fractured and for Trump to maintain a hold on his constituency, which certainly at this point isn't necessarily 50 percent of the Republican Party, um, but enough if it's a fractured field. Uh, for him to prevail as he did in 2016. And so I think everybody is is kind of walking gingerly uh, in the ways that they are going to try to both compete against Donald Trump and woo some of his constituents. So uh, so for, for people like Governor DeSantis or others, this may be, this may seem like an easy call at this point, which is to, in one way or another, not to look like they are doing anything to cooperate with, encourage, uh, or approve of what the Manhattan District Attorney is doing in this case. Um, but there will come a time when they will have to separate more directly and in which they, they will have to go after him more directly. And so they're going to have to decide on what grounds do they go after him. Governor DeSantis has already signaled that one of the areas that he wants to go after uh, former President Trump is on the issue of character. Uh, and if this isn't a, you know, a part and parcel to the question of character, I don't know what is. So uh, this will leave him with some difficult choices, but not in not immediately. Uh, Karen, I was struck uh, yesterday um, Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, who is getting ready to run uh, against Donald Trump for the for the Republican nomination, put out a statement that was that was well short of uh, what some of the others have done. He he did. I mean, he basically said, you know, we have there's a presumption of innocence and all of that. But uh, he did not go out of his way to attack Alvin Bragg. Uh, he did not in any significant way come to the president's defense uh, on this matter. And I thought that was that was a kind of a telling uh, indication of kind of how he thinks he may run uh, when he finally announces his candidacy. And you mentioned these other investigations. There are at least three of them. There is the and they are all sort of on as legal cases, more straightforward and less sordid than paying hush money to a porn star. Um, there's the federal investigation into Trump's actions on January 6th and the documents that he took out of the White House with him. There is the investigation going on in Georgia as to whether he tried to overturn the election there. There's a third one you're not hearing as much about in New York State involving the business practices of the Trump Organization. How does the fact that this is kind of the, the lead off indictment, how is that likely to affect those investigations? Well, I think there are some people who it, it, I guess would I would say wish that this was not the first one. I mean, this is obviously a historic moment and, and everybody treated it legitimately as that uh, when the news came out yesterday that the grand jury had handed up uh, an indictment. Um, but it is, as you say, it is a very tawdry case, and legal experts uh, say that it may or may not be a strong case. I mean, there are clear questions about uh, the strength of this case. Um, the others are certainly much more weighty, uh, particularly the Justice Department's investigation into January 6th. Uh, and the case involving the, the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago um, seems to hold the more immediate peril for him and, and perhaps is an easier case to bring than some of the others. So 
um, you know, but this is the way the legal system works out. This is a, you know, this is a New York case with the with the Manhattan District Attorney forging ahead. Uh, it was ripe uh, at the grand jury. They went ahead and did it. Um, we don't know what exactly the timing will be on the others, but uh, I, I think one thing we know, given the way Trump has dealt with, you know, investigations in the past and and challenges in the past, that he will do everything possible to drag these out. Um, and, and it is likely that they could go well into the 2024 election year and perhaps beyond the 2024 election. So um, we're just, you know, we're we're going to have to think about these in, in two ways. One is um, they certainly do get mixed up in the politics, but the legal system operates, you know, on its own independent track. Um, and that's partly why Donald Trump is in a difficult position now. He has less control over that than he might have had control over some of these other things that have come at him over the years. And, and Dan, in the little bit of time we have left here, you've written a lot about, about your concerns over dangers to democracy. And we've seen Trump already inciting his followers to protest this, uh, suggesting that violence would not be unwarranted. How worried should people be about this? I think people should be legitimately worried. I mean, we know that this is now a strain in our political system. We've seen what happened on January 6, 2021, when there was the, the attack on the Capitol. We know that there has been a rise in uh, 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 right-wing activity in particular uh, with fringes of, of, of violence. Um, and, and so I think that's a very real threat. Um, at the same time, I think that you know there is an aspect of American democracy which is that no one is above the law, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing play out right now. This may seem like a tawdry case; it may seem like a questionable case, um, and and it does involve the former president of the United States. But it is it is the legal system doing the job it's it's supposed to do, which its you know practitioners believe is the right thing to do. So it it I think it heightens the dangers that exist out there. Um, but it may be a necessary part of trying to move us forward um, into pay, perhaps a better place over some period of time. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. And thank you so much for joining us, Dan. Thanks, Karen. And now we are going to be joined by a couple of my colleagues from the opinion section. Uh, columnist E.J. Dion and Hugh Hewitt. Uh, welcome, guys. Great to be with you, I have a hunch you guys are not going to see eye to eye on all of this. So you think? let me start. <laughs> let me start with E.J. There were a lot of jubilant Democrats last night. Um, do you think they're kind of getting out ahead of themselves on this one? What? My short answer is no, but I want to underscore something you said at the beginning that's very, very important and right, which is we don't know yet exactly what this case is going to look like. In the course of listening to the news yesterday, I heard people talk about 15 counts. I heard somebody say 34 counts. We don't know exactly what uh, uh, D.A. Bragg uh, is bringing here, and I think that's very important. But I think if you did see jubilance, it was captured in a wonderful non-opinion piece by our colleague Mark Fisher, which is that Donald Trump has been investigated and investigated and investigated for 50 years for all sorts of things. 
And no one had ever actually tried to hold him accountable in a court of law in this way. Uh, and so I think there was a feeling that Bragg has come under enormous pressure. Republicans in Congress are threatening to investigate him. These are the folks who believe in local control and states' rights, but they want to go after Bragg for bringing this case. Um, and not only did he decide to bring it, but we forget that a grand jury brought this case. Alvin Bragg had to persuade a grand jury. And there's that old line that a decent DA can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. But this is no ham sandwich. The people on that grand jury knew the consequences here. They knew how serious this was. They have seen the evidence and they brought these indictments. Uh, I think it's very important that finally uh, somebody stood up to the pressure and said, no matter what other people say, I see the law this way, the grand jury sees the law this way, and so we're going to bring this case. So, Hugh, on the other side, we have seen the Republican Party pretty much unanimous in uniting behind Donald Trump and his accusations that this is nothing but a politically motivated witch hunt. Um, are, are they... I mean, at this point, are they too too quick to fall in line behind Trump? I'm going to agree with EJ's first statement, Karen, much to his surprise, perhaps. We don't know anything, and so I'm going to be the most boring conservative pundit out there, because Admiral Akbar, in the immortal words uttered in Return of the Jedi, it's a trap. It's a trap to opine on a sealed indictment. And when I heard Dan Ball, probably the most respected political journalist in America, say, we've heard about the presumption of innocence and all that, because Dan was using shorthand for all that, the former Speaker of the House last night tweeted, uh, Nancy Pelosi, tweeted that Donald Trump is entitled to a trial to prove his innocence. That is turning a thousand years of Anglo-American law on its head. And therefore, we can't go with the shorthand about the presumption of innocence. I don't know why an indictment is sealed in this instance. I'm wearing my Pittsburgh Steelers tie because it's April Fool's Eve, and it's a joke on everyone that knows that I hate the, the Steelers. But it's no joke that no one has asked the question, why would this be sealed? Do either of you have, have you heard an answer to that? Because there's no risk of flight. It's kind of hard to imagine Donald Trump hiding out somewhere and not being recognized. Why in the world would it be sealed on a Friday night drop, except that D.A. Bragg does not want the scrutiny on the particulars. He wants the takeaways on the 30,000 feet hot takes, all of which I've heard, except E.J. and you and Dan, immediately skip over the fact that we have no idea what's in the indictment. Well, presumably we'll know more by, they are saying at least, that the arraignment is going to happen on Tuesday. But Hugh, I mean, the the biggest indicator that somebody's thinking seriously about running for president on the Republican side is when they show up on Hugh Hewitt's show. So could you talk a little bit about what, how does the rest of the presidential field handle this? That's a great question, Karen. Former Governor Christie was on yesterday, but more importantly, he was on two weeks when the Manhattan case, the outlines of what might be the case took short. And he said, the interesting part is they're in a defense attorney in America. And I've been, I've been telling this to clients and to law students since I've been practicing 40 years. 
when you're under indictment, you don't say anything. You don't say anything. Uh, and Chris Christie said he can't imagine the former president following that advice, but you really don't say anything. It's like telling a pundit not to opine on what they don't know. It, it just don't do that. And if you've been indicted, don't say or, or do anything that makes it worse. And Governor Christie doubted whether or not Donald Trump will be able to do that. And I share that doubt. It is truly unusual. I mean, Eugene Debs ran for president from jail, but he wasn't a serious candidate. Uh, I, I defer to you and, and, and EJ on what you think he's going to do. But I know what Chris Christie said, which is do not say anything once you're indicted. Do you guys think he can hold to that discipline? Of course he can't. No. <laughs> you know. But so, and let's talk about that. I mean, he's not only commenting on the indictment, he is urging his supporters to protest it. And he has implied that violence would be justified in this. Um, and I'd like to, to take a look at some of the reaction we saw. We've already seen on conservative media, um, Fox News host ripped into the verdict. Jesse Waters said, People are not going to stand for it. Tucker Carlson actually went so far as to say, this isn't the best time to get rid of your AR-15. And so let's hear how conservative sports columnist Jason Whitlock responded to that. As you have spelled out this week, they think they're God. And they don't think they can make up the rules. They can decide what fairness is. They don't have a biblical worldview. And it's sickening for me. I'm upset. I'm emotional. I'm ready for whatever's next. And I hope every other man out there watching this show, I hope you're ready for whatever's next. If that's what they want, let's, let's, let's get to it. So, Hugh, how concerned should we be? How worried about violence? Well, I'm not. But on January 6th, I was on with Megyn Kelly and said, everything's going to be fine. Don't wait. So that was the morning. So don't count on me to accurately predict. But I am not worried about violence. And conservative media is pretty big. I just did a three-hour radio show where no one, and I took 30 calls. Nobody said anything about violence. No one's thinking about violence. I, I think that's a trope, but I do think the criminalization of politics is very bad. I mean, very, very bad to criminalize politics. You know, Karen, and, and I, I think... Uh, oh, go ahead, uh, Karen. I'm sorry. Oh, I, was, I was just going to ask you, I, I wrote a column earlier this week on how biblical imagery keeps getting pulled into this, uh, starting with Donald Trump. And certainly in this last comment, you, you heard the same thing. Uh, how concerned are you? Uh, I, am, I am worried because we have the precedent of January 6th. I mean, I think we, we've got two c conflicting bits of evidence here. On the one hand, when Trump called people out when he predicted wrongly that he'd be indicted earlier, um, there was no real response out there. And so maybe we'll see that Trump has less juice than we he once did or than we thought uh, he did. But that kind of language and linking it to the Bible with these overtones of apocalypse and uh, sacralizing Donald Trump, uh, first, it's idolatry. But secondly, it is very scary when this happens. I want to go all the way back to something you said earlier 
which is I don't think it's uncommon for a prosecutor to release the indictment when the arraignment happens next week. Bragg was trying to get Trump arraigned today, which would have allowed the release of the indictment for a variety of reasons that didn't work out. So I don't think he's playing um, any games here. But I am really struck by how, you know, with the exception of Asa Hutchinson and I assume Chris Christie, um, these Republicans who have to oppose Trump for the nomination are all falling in line behind him. Um, and I think they are making uh, similar mistakes. They're not exactly the same, but similar mistakes to the mistakes Republicans made in 2016, which is this terrible reluctance to take Trump on directly to challenge him. They are conceding this guy controls the Republican electorate. I've got to steal some of his votes. In the meantime, Trump is going to be going after not only the prosecutor in New York, he's going to be going after Ron DeSantis and all these other opponents. The gutlessness in going after Trump is really striking. And I think it's a real sign of weakness, not to mention that Governor DeSantis seemed to be saying, I'm going to ignore the law and not um, uh, and not send him to New York legally as he should. May not matter in the end, but that's an astonishing thing for a governor to say. And, you know, our, our editorial board this morning uh, suggested that this is really not a great test case when it comes to prosecuting a former president. You know, there are three other investigations out there. This one, as best we can tell so far, may be relying on a novel legal strategy, which is if they go after Trump for falsifying business records, to make that a felony, you have to link it to trying to cover up another crime in this case, potentially a federal crime, uh, that is something that may or may not hold up in court. Do you think this is likely to affect the credibility of any of the other investigations that are going on, Hugh? Absolutely, Karen. It, with the public, it won't affect the prosecutor, Jack Smith, the special counsel, it won't affect the DA and in Atlanta, but the and since we're going to our bag of cliches and we'll be all weekend long because we don't have the indictment, let me use that one, which is if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And so if it or doesn't- it comes back and Trump, tries to kill you again tomorrow, one of those and, things. And, and they <laughs> might try again, but you get stronger. I do have to disagree with EJ. Indictments are rarely sealed in the absence of a risk of flight, EJ. Uh, so I do not understand why. They're not routinely unsealed when the uh, defendant is arraigned. They're often unsealed. I think they're usually unsealed when they're handed down. I don't know the answer here or what DA Bragg would. I think it is the question. But I, I do believe that over the weekend, we've got 72 hours of relentless speculation. And it's all bad for everyone who engages in it. And the candidates are walking a line, which is respect the rule of law. And if this is turned out to be a political prosecution, you can't have said, let it play out. You have to have said, respect the rule of law, because Republicans are running on the rule of law in many places, the crime, the border, the rule of law, fentanyl. And so they have to respect the rule of law, but they can also operate on the premise that if it's just Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen 
advancing the John Edwards prosecution, which was discredited and thrown out, then it's nothing and it's worse than nothing. It's the criminalization of politics. I don't know. And I want to I want that on the record. If it's all that. But I don't know. And nobody knows except the Manhattan DA. What do you think? I don't see why it's the crim. I, I the two to do. First of all, we don't know what's in the indictment. And let's put a line under that and we'll see what he has. Uh, but secondly, um, was it the criminalization of politics for the Justice Department to go after Michael Cohen in the first place? I didn't hear that kind of argument made then. Uh, and so I think that to begin to speculate even about that uh, before we know what's in the indictment is really uh, to politicize the case. It's not Bragg who's doing the politicization. Um, it's the other side in trying to uh, protect Donald Trump. And in terms of the order of the cases, we can sit here and say, gee, it would have been better if Jack Smith had acted first on one of those other cases or the Georgia case had come first. But this is the case that was ready. This is the case that came first. And I think there's an argument to be made that having breached the idea that, yes, a former president can be indicted, uh, this may not weaken the other cases. In fact, uh, it may make it less uh, shocking when the other cases come out. And the idea of holding a former president accountable will over time come to be seen as normal as the Constitution envisioned it when it said that a president after impeachment can be brought to trial. Just because it's never happened does not mean it's not right there in the Constitution that this is a legitimate and important thing to do. And Mitch McConnell said it on the Senate floor uh, after the second impeachment. So, okay, that's an interesting concept here. I mean, do you think we are going to be coming into an era where what seemed unthinkable and unprecedented uh, yesterday uh, becomes almost routine and especially, you know, in the hands of local prosecutors. Hugh? Pray not, Karen. The, uh, the great Justice Robert Jackson, when he was Attorney General Robert Jackson, before he became our lead prosecutor at Nuremberg, gave a very famous speech among lawyers called The Duties of the Federal Prosecutor. And it is important to prosecute crimes, not people. That's the takeaway from that speech. You investigate and prosecute crimes, not people. The antithesis of that is when you say, I'm going to get E.J. Dion, and I'm just going to throw everything at E.J. Dion that I've got until I find something on E.J. Dion. Now, I don't think we're ever going to find anything about E.J. Dion, but it's going to be very unpleasant for E.J. if anybody does that. That's the politicization of, of prosecution. That's what I'm worried about, and it should not become routine for the very good reason that's the end of the republic if uh, prosecution becomes politically motivated. What do you Could think? Could I just Jay? say I appreciate that acquittal right off the top? You're acquitted. But I also want to say that I don't think anything involving Donald Trump is going to become routine in our republic, and I certainly hope not. So, yes, a line has been breached here. But it goes to use point precisely. A line has been breached here because there are crimes to charge, not because we are going to routinize uh, indicting presidents uh, after the fact. And obviously, Richard Nixon might have been subjected 
uh, to prosecution. And Gerald Ford decided that that would be bad for the republic, so he issued uh, the pardon. I'm, but I'm not worried about the routinization of this. It's a very serious thing. I don't like the idea that any president would be indicted, but I don't like the idea that any president might commit crimes that require indictment either. Can I ask a question of both of you? If this turns out to be dismissed or not prosecuted, or and, and there's nothing from the DOJ and there's nothing in Georgia, meaning that they result in non-convictions in all three cases, what do you think that does to politics in America? If there are three bites at the apple and they all miss again after two impeachments and two and a half years of the Mueller investigation, what will you two think if that's where we end up? Well, I think I don't like to answer a triple hypothetical. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> right. And we, we don't even have this indictment uh, unsealed uh, yet. So I'm, I'm with Karen. Um, I follow my counselor's lead here. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you both so much. And unfortunately, we are out of time. So we are going to have to leave it there. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.